This is Without Compromise, a show that explores what happens when you won't settle for anything less than your crazy ideas. We'll talk to athletes, founders, adventurers, and entrepreneurs of all kinds about living without compromise. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Welcome to the show. We're programmed for survival, so our instinct is to give up on these situations, to move away from them. I thought if I didn't sign up for that race, that I was just going to disappear. It doesn't have to be these big, huge things that everyone thinks you need to do to make a difference. Sam Long is disrupting the world of triathlons. He is young, he is fiery, energetic, and is just winning like crazy. Between the recording of this episode and the release, he won another Ironman just last week, Ironman Poland 70.3. And he is getting, this is, by the way, on his European world tour of other races he's winning. And he is getting ready for the 70.3 World Championships in which he came in second place already. At 26 years old, he is on fire to say the least. So it's going to be exciting to see him compete at the end of October. And it was a pleasure to sit down and talk to him about his mindset, how growing up as a triplet, one of three in Boulder, uh, just an endurance sport mecca, um, how that all shaped him to be really, really not just an elite Ironman, but a world-class top of the game, one of the best in the world already in such a short amount of time. Um, But before we jump in, obviously, you know, this show comes from Athletic Brewing, the makers of non-alcoholic craft beer, award-winning. We always say award-winning, and that actually is proven now time and time again. But our most recent sweep of awards, I'm going to read off real quick. Recently at the World Beer Awards, we got six different category medals. So let me read off a couple of them. The IPA, we got winner, gold, first place, Run Wild IPA, United States. Also for IPA, Silver, Free Wave Hazy IPA, Lager, Winner, Gold, Athletic Light, Stout and Porter, Bronze, All Out Stout, and Gluten Free, Bronze, Upside Dawn, Golden. And then Flavored Wild Sour, Silver, goes to Downwinder Goza. So I know we often say award-winning non-alcoholic craft beer, but we're not just, you know, we're not kidding around there. There really are quite a few awards to each of these beers. And by the way, this is the most recent sweep. There are many more that these beers have won. So as Sam starts gaining more and more and more medals and titles, Athletic Brewing is doing the same. And speaking of winning awards, how about your own personal record? Check out the beer personal record that we just brewed. We just released it in collaboration with our partnership with Iron Man. So if you haven't tried it yet, give it us a shot. Go to athleticbrewing.com. Find us on store shelves near you or order straight at our website. Get it shipped right to your house. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in. All right, folks, you heard a little bit about Sam in the intro, uh, but we want to welcome Sam to the show. Sam Long, how you doing? I'm doing awesome. Yeah, I guess I should probably say yo, yo, yo for the people who know me. Um, <laughs> but I'm really great. They're in uh, uh, Trieste, which is on the border of Italy and Slovenia. They're on the, on the uh, Adriatic Sea, and it's very hot and humid, and uh, but it's lovely, and I'm seeing the world and racing triathlons, and it's pretty great. Oh, my gosh, man. I was, I was like, I had it in my notes to say introduce you say yo 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 sam long how's it going um and i totally butchered it but you know it's fine that's fine you got to say your 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 line but tell it wh- where did that come from yo 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 i see it everywhere when i was looking you up and i was like that was like the first thing i wrote down was like what is that why do you say it yeah uh there's really no uh answer for it it's just kind of come about i i something i said when i got excited and i'd see an old friend or yeah, just people I'd see and I'd be excited and I'd say, yo, 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 how you doing? And uh, I started it when I was, before I was a triathlete, I was just a high school kid and, uh, you know, everyone actually made fun of me for it. Like, why are you always saying that? Why are you always saying that? And um, and then finally it just like blew up overnight. And then of course now it's basically turned into like my brand slogan. And uh, I think it's quite cool because it's just fun and it's a way I can identify myself, but it's also at the end of the day, it's just a way to say hi to people. So, you know, everyone's saying my grand slogan, but they're also just saying hi to each other, which is really awesome because it's making the world a more communal place. It's like, it reminds me, it reminded me of Yeah Yeah off a of Sandlot. If you ever watch that, it's like a Yeah Yeah, the guy that says Yeah Yeah at the beginning of every sentence. And <laughs> I was like, that's what it reminded me of. But that's awesome. Yeah, it's definitely a thing. It's like every time I saw it, people in your comments, like on Instagram and on YouTube, are like Yo Yo Yo. So that, that's pretty cool to see. So, so you're in uh, 
you said on the, on the border of Italy. How, how is it? What, what, what are you doing there? Yeah. So uh, right now I am uh, I'm meeting my girlfriend's family. So I'm meeting her grandma and uh, her. She's uh, got an Italian heritage. So her grandma, uncles, aunts, all sorts of people. And uh, basically it's just fit into I'm doing what I call my European tour right now, which is a European race tour for the summer. And uh, I've only been here for three days. I, I just came over from Alpe d'Huez in France. I did a race over there and now I'm here for like six days. And then I'm actually flying to Poland on on Friday today to, uh, today's Monday so I'm four day Poland for a race and then I'm coming back here for another week um, and then I go to Slovakia uh, that one I drive to for another race so it's um, this is just one stop of what's been about ten or twelve stops for the summer and uh, this this one's a pretty good stop it's probably the most uh, fun I'm having so far and it's cool to see the the cultural history here and. Um, also fun to be uh, living in a household. And I, I speak about 20 words of Italian and some of the people don't speak any English. So it's, uh, yeah, it's quite cool. That's awesome, man. Yeah. To, to make those 20 words really important words, you know, um, is it going to be difficult to, uh, traditionally speaking, there's a lot of food in Italy, a lot of Italian cooking. Is it going to be hard to stay in shape this six days? Uh, you know, I think it, it could be, but my, my strategy has been to to train a lot. So if you train a lot, then it's just getting well fueled. And if I wasn't training a lot, then, then yeah, I think the food would be bad. But uh, so far it's been great because, you know, everyone's always cooking food and, um, and, but I train a lot and I'm making sure to do that. So it's been good. But the hardest thing is actually timing the training because here in Italy, lunch is the biggest meal and dinner is kind of smaller, but uh, I cannot get all my training done before lunch. So I'm, you know, waking up at five, I'm going for a five hour bike ride and then a run off. And then like today we had, you know, I probably had two pounds of pasta carbonara with, <laughs> for lunch and salad and lots of bread. And then, you know, take a, take a siesta, take a nap and then woke up. And then I had to uh, find the energy to go for another run here, which that was uh, a little bit hard to do after that. But uh, then I got it done and now I'm looking forward to dinner. So man, a world tour. I mean, this is crazy. The amount of stops and the amount of places you go and even like following you. And, and researching you, I'm like, dude, you're like at a different place every moment you speak, it seems like. Is that, I mean, that's got to be thrilling in, a, in one hand, but it also has to be a little bit difficult to just build a routine or, 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 or keep a routine even. And is, is that the case? Yeah, I mean, like the overarching thing is that it's been, it's been amazing and it's been awesome. And I've gotten to see so much of the world, do some fantastic races, meet great people, but like, uh, it's definitely been tired, tiring at times, and it's been logistically complicated and very difficult to keep a routine. And like, um, I think sometimes I've seen that because in two of the races, I've made like very, very simple mistakes because I just was a little bit disorganized. Like in my last race, I forgot my uh, my transition bag, and I actually left it at the house before I left. And then you have to put your wetsuit in that. Um, and so then I showed up at transition. I didn't have it. I actually tried to get another one, um, but lo and behold, uh, the referees didn't speak a word of English. They only spoke French, <laughs> so I couldn't get the, get the replacement bag. And because of this, I ended up with a five-minute penalty because I didn't put my wetsuit in the bag. Um, and even in the race, the like is it like a tripping hazard or something? Every race is different. Sometimes it's no penalty. Uh, usually it's only 15 seconds, but this race, it was five minutes, which is crazy. Um, so I lost the race right there. And even the ref in the race, like he saw me not put it in. And he's like, hey, just go back and put it in and you won't get the penalty. And I'm like, I tried to tell him, like, the problem is there's no bag. I tried to get it from you before the race and you want to give it to me. But uh, anyways, I mean, it's of course it was in the moment. I mean, five minutes when you're dedicating your life to racing and training five minutes is is an eternity you know that's uh it's horrible but uh i think i used it as an example to show that yeah it's been hard at times to be organized and so simple mistakes like that have shown up and in ways my my racing has uh suffered a little bit um i'm actually very fit and i've been racing a lot but uh some of this disorganization has shown up just because i'm having to be so organized with where am I going from one place to the next that then I uh, sometimes forget the, the little details. Are you naturally an organized person or has this been like a skill you've just had to learn? 
No, I, yeah, I would say I'm not naturally very organized. So it's uh, like I really have to work hard on setting up systems in place. And um, which is why I think this trip is going to be great for me for the future, because it's it's helping me set up so many systems around traveling to races and picking out races and, and getting organized before races and, and even figuring out, you know, race logistics in a different language. And this isn't all skill sets and things I've done before, but never anywhere close to the extent I've done this before as now. I mean, it's been crazy every two weeks. I'm actually every day I'm having to figure out new logistics. Like with a lot of really big uh, traditional team sports, a lot of that's taken care of for you. You just kind of got to show up. It's laid out pretty. It's kind of like college life. You know, I got to know I got to go to these classes, got to do this. Everything else is just kind of up to me. But for this, for for a pro triathlete, I mean, it's it's all on you. And not only that, I know that you capture a lot of content and do a lot of film. That's another entirely different set of logistics to figure out. Um, Would you say that's maybe among some of the biggest I don't know, underappreciated sides of being a pro athlete in this sport? Yeah, definitely. I I mean, I think you make a great point. Like, you know, uh, an NFL football player, um, obviously they've got a lot going on and tons of commitments, but like their their team and their organization is going to set stuff up for them. I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, Peyton Manning uh, doesn't have to book his flight to get to the Super Bowl. I'm pretty sure, you know, the, the, the team has it figured out. They've got the plane booked. All he has to do is maybe, uh, you know, walk out to his chauffeur's car and he gets driven to the airport or to the private plane, rather, and, and everything's taken care of. Um, and as a pro triathlete, we get to decide our own schedules, but it's it's a interesting life in terms of like there's so much more than just training especially now that yeah social media has become big like um i wear a lot of different hats right like i the biggest hat is certainly pro athlete and training and racing at my highest level but then like right now yeah i mean travel booker figuring out my own agenda my own logistics how to get to everywhere how the races work all of that and then managing my own social media content creation and then on top of that, the third hat I wear is I don't I don't use an agent for any of my sponsorship deals, so I'm my own agent and and uh, having to put the business hat on. So it's like four roles I'm having to do, which uh, can be exhausting, but I actually find it uh, for the most part I find it really thrilling, and it's it's skill sets I have to develop, and that's why a big reason for doing this trip is that it's allowing me to like accelerate those skill sets, and then going forward I'll be better at these skills that actually are extremely important to being a successful triathlete. Man, that's really interesting. Yeah. Four different hats at the, at, you know, big hats. And I know there's, there's other responsibilities within there. Um, and, and you, and you find it thrilling. That's fantastic. And I'm glad you do, you know, because if you did it, this would be really difficult. What, what would you say are some other maybe misconceptions about being a pro triathlete in the sense of what you have to do? Because, to me, in a lot of your race recaps or post-race interviews, I've heard you mention things like your hotel being like on point or being really high quality. And I'm like, that's just a funny thing to mention, like right after you win. But it must mean, it must be really important, that kind of things to result in a win, if that's if, if that makes sense. Oh, I mean, absolutely. It's like, you got to be comfortable. And yeah, I mean... uh I've got some crazy stories about places I've stayed and, and sometimes uh, the race, you decide to do a certain race and the race will say, Oh, we're, we're helping you with accommodation. And so they either have a host hotel they put you in or sometimes homestays and homestays for the most part are terrific. Usually they're terrific, but um, I've definitely had a homestay here and there that has also ruined my race, so to speak. Um, <sighs> no kidding. What happened? Uh, well, this particular one was interesting i got there um and i was traveling with my girlfriend and uh the race organizers knew that but they they hadn't relayed that and um lo and behold i was put in a i mean the room was like i don't know if people have ever the only thing i can think of is harry potter if anyone's ever watched that harry potter movie and they like put harry potter in like that tiny uh thing under the stairs and that's where he sleeps like anyways that's what this room was it was like you know, five feet by five feet, it was actually a slanted ceiling. So most of the room was only like five feet tall and I'm six foot five. And it just had one single bed. I'm talking a college dorm room bed for two people. 
And, you know, so I was hunched over all week. We couldn't sleep. And I mean, yeah, something like that. It doesn't really matter how fit you are. Of course, if you're there for, you know, five, six days, that's going to, uh, that's going to affect your recovery and affect your sleep and give me back problems. And then, yeah, lo and behold, I had a, and um, yeah, of course, I, you never, I would never, I've never said, oh, I had a bad race at that race because of the homestay. But now I can say, tell the story because nobody knows which race it was for. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but uh, yeah, Peyton Manning didn't have to deal with that, I promise you, ahead of any <laughs> football games. I guarantee it. But you, know, you, you, you've had some incredible wins, and and, what, and what's also cool is I know you, you know, people talk about this a lot. You're young, but um, developing all these skills now, it's starting to make sense to me why a lot of the pros in this sport are older than a lot of other sports are, in the sense of just you, you got to get that experience, you got to build up your engine. Um, how has it been being like a young gun in this sport, starting at 18 and having? won quite a few races and, and a lot of other things outside of triathlons too that you've won and done well at um how has it been breaking through at such a young age uh, and having a really big breakout year last year is, is that kind of like an old topic at this point in the sense of talking about it or is it still kind of a thrill to be different no it's uh it's definitely not an old topic and it's um it's interesting now looking back right because now I feel like, yeah, I've broken through and now this is sort of the first year where I feel uh, somewhat established uh, or, yeah, established in kind of a main name in the sport. And looking back, it's like breaking out was really awesome. And like, I just, I just didn't really care what other people thought and I didn't have, you know, really any pressure on me. And so in a way it was like a really fun time and a time, but also a time where I was just like, so, so hungry to perform because it felt like every single race, everything was on the line. And that if I didn't perform, it was almost like, oh, this, this dream of being a professional triathlete could go away. And so it, it really fueled me. But of course now, like, it's just things change. And now I'm like, I've got great backing, you know, athletic brewing is one of my sponsors. I've got great backing. So I'm able to, to be more comfortable. I'm able to train better. I go into races and it's not the same sort of mindset of like, Oh, if I don't win this race, then like I can't basically afford to get home or afford to get food on my table, which is, which is definitely nice. But it also, I think that pressure sort of fueled me in a sense, but um, it's allowing me to do more now, now that I'm established and it's allowing me, I'm, I'm actually much more happy now because I don't feel that same pressure. Um, like to perform but now i have pressure from like people expect more things from me people expect performances from me and this whole european tour for example it's like um i've basically gotten ripped a new one for you know getting second at a race when it's like oh why didn't he win the race and i'm like well second's still pretty good but <laughs> um yeah so it's it's just it's really interesting to see how life changes and as you transition from one phase to the next, how, how pressures uh, change and there's always stresses in life and they come from different things. And, and that's really what I've noticed more than anything else. And yeah, of course, like uh, the future is still so big and so in front of me. And so I'm hoping to be, I'm only 26 and I really think the peak years are like 33 to potentially 40. So I'm just doing what I can to set myself up for that time. Wow. Yeah. And speaking of that, you recently I don't know how recent. I, I know recently the, the the announcement was, but um, of of not racing Kona this year. Uh, how, how difficult was that decision? And also, yeah, how difficult was that decision for you? Having being young and wanting to really prove yourself and 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 really compete at these events uh, and being patient. You're having you you did that out of patience. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that decision is. Uh, it's an, it was an extremely hard decision to make. And I still sometimes I'm finding myself wanting to go back because it's just like, I mean, Kona is our golden race every year. And I still find it very tempting to say, okay, I'm going to go do this. But like, the thing is, our, our half distance world championships is only three weeks after. And I was second there last year. And realistically, I feel like, you know, my best race at Kona this year might be like a fifth place while my best race at St. George at the 70.3 World Championships can 100% be a world title. Mm -hmm. But if I both, I'm likely sacrificing the world title because Kona is only three weeks beforehand. So it's, 
yeah, it's trying to to be smart, but it's uh, I'm still finding myself going back and saying, okay, I should do Kona, but I know. I know I've made the right decision and I've made the right plan and I need to just stick with it. And it's also, it's not even just about this year. It's also about um, setting Kona in five years or three years or even 10 years from now. And that um, I'm 26. And even if I start at Kona next year at 27, I could still potentially have 13 or 15 Konas in my career, which would be, which would be a lot. (laughs) Sure. You're not the only one that's having these thoughts. No, I, there's no way. I mean, I know it's like we're all kind of torn about this. And, and the thing is, like, it's we're we're driven to do Kona by the sport, by by everything. Everything tells us to do Kona. And I think that's great if you're you're better at the full distance than the half distance. But I think there's a lot of us who are actually better at the half. Most young guys are better at the half distance than the full distance. It just takes more time to get that experience under your legs. And yet I think. Uh, most of us are going to end up doing Kona and 70.3 Worlds, and a lot, of, a lot of people will probably suffer at 70.3 Worlds because of that decision, and that's what I'm trying to avoid. But I, I am admittedly finding it very, very difficult to not race Kona. I love your philosophy behind it. The person who chases two birds usually ends up with none, and that's why you're doing this. And I, I think that's a mature uh, approach. And but but like you said, being a young competitor, it's got to be difficult. Um, it's going to be interesting to see the people that do both, how relatively speaking, their performance does. Um, and I'm sure you're going to be watching that pretty close. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm de- I'm definitely going to be watching it close. Yeah, it's uh, there's a famous coach in the sport of triathlon, and he has a quote I really like to say. And it's, like be ambitious, but don't get greedy. And I think, you know, that carries into all aspects of life is there's actually a very fine line between ambition and greed. And it's fine, you know, to want to push and to work really hard or to achieve these goals. But at what point are you getting greedy with those goals? And once you get greedy, yeah, you often end up with, with no birch um, rather than, you know, one, one main gold nugget. Absolutely. Wow. Well, Tell me, you're you're kind of an outlier in a lot of ways, being being so young. I remember my first Ironman, I was like 21, 22, 22. And I remember, you know, seeing, that's when we were writing people's ages on their legs and stuff. I don't know if they still do that. But um, I was like, damn, there's nobody, <laughs> nobody my age, nobody. And even the pros. And very few were that age or younger. And so I just you know, a lot of us thought this is a sport, like you said, you peak in your thirties, sometimes even your forties and later, uh, people do really well later in life at this kind of sport. Um, why is that? And why do you think you're different? Why do you think you're doing so well so early? Yeah. Um, I think I can tie the first question back to why I think it is actually back to the first part of what we were talking about. And I think as a triathlete and especially as a professional triathlete, it's mostly because you learn how to set the logistics up in training camp and getting to the race and, and having like a happy life, having a well-balanced life and all that stuff really matters at the full distance. And, and you plan well and you, you know, your, your whole schedule's laid out starting 20 weeks out, you know, where you should be when, and you don't do too much and, and all that. And, and that's what I'm, you know, uh, accelerating on my trip right now. And then the other thing is just, yeah, you, you get more miles under your belt and those miles are important. And you also, you learn those race decisions because, uh, in Ironman there's a lot like a chess match. And sometimes if you play the wrong move, even if you have the fitness as a professional, then, then you'll lose the race. And so doing those things is smart. While I think I'm having success, um, well, so I also tried to accelerate and get that race experience. Even though I'm only 26, I've done something like 16 or 17 Ironmans. And in my early years, I was racing like three or four a year to, to learn those chess moves and to, you know, learn, okay, how do I need to set up and, and basically to learn from my mistakes. Um, and of course, throughout that, I've put in a lot of miles into my legs, which have made me good at that. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, of course, I've probably got some natural amount of talent that makes me good at that longer stuff. And um, I like to think I'm really mentally tough in my brain. And so that I'm able to keep going when the going gets tough as well. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I, I still think my best years are absolutely in front of me. But you, you know, I know you started young in this sport. I usually ask this first, but I'm going to ask it now. Where did you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up in in Boulder, Colorado. There you go. Exactly. So that's probably a big reason why I'm I'm good at this. Even though, so I didn't actually start as a triathlete until I was 18. But I think if anyone looked at how I grew up, they'd be like, this guy was training from the time he was like five. Um, but I didn't call it training. I called it playing with my brothers. And being a kid. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell us that, you know, growing up in Boulder, because Boulder, for you know, most folks probably know this, but Boulder is a place, it's a destination for athletes, especially endurance athletes and folks trying to take that to the next level. But growing up there and being from there has to be just a totally different experience. Um, where that's almost like that is just your life. That is, you know, athletes everywhere. Everyone you come across on the trail is like a former Olympian or something. So, like, what what were you doing growing up, getting ready for triathlons? What were the sports you were doing? Yeah, exactly. And and so I think first it's probably important to say, like, the scientific literature has shown that if you grow up at altitude as a kid, your heart and your physiology is just stronger. You're better suited to endurance sports because from the time you came out of the womb, you were having to breathe less oxygen in the air. And to magnify that, I, I also spent a lot of time up in a, a little town called Crested Butte, Colorado. It's a little ski town. I don't know if you've been there, but but my, my family's house there sits at like 10,200 feet. So I'm talking crazy, crazy high. And and my parents bought that house when, when we were two. And so we were spending a lot of time skiing up there. And then the the next important thing, and I don't know if you know this about me, Mason, but I'm actually a triplet, all boys. So I've got two brothers the same exact age as me. And um, I think that kind of says what my childhood was like. You know, we were running around in the woods, playing imaginary games of shooting dragons and stuff. And um, and we were doing that constantly. And, um, and then we got older and then we were playing on soccer teams. And then I was skiing and I was literally, I did every single sport under the sun. The more sports I could do, the better. And then in uh, high school, like I would, once they started letting me pick my classes, I would sign up for like three PE classes a day. I'd sign up for like running class, lifting class, and like cycling class. I just, I wanted to work out all day because I just hated sitting in the classroom. And, um, and that was just my whole childhood was literally spending figuring out how I could spend as much time outside. I actually I didn't get my my license till I was 18 because I thought, what in the world is the point of driving a car when I can bike? And um, I loved racing my friends in their car and I would I would be on my bike and with all my textbooks and everything. And even through even through college, like um, I actually can say I only drove my car to college twice in four years. I only drove the car, the car twice. I biked every single day. Jeez, those are all building blocks. Absolutely, to where you you come out first Ironman twenty fourteen and won your age group, being around this you know th- those folks having you know probably a, pr- a pretty competitive childhood with literally copy paste three different three times like who's going to be better. And so so what was it like that first Ironman back in twenty fourteen? Was it just instantly this is what I want to do? What was the initial? experience for you with that first Ironman or, or maybe some of your first triathlons? Yeah. So to be honest, that first Ironman experience, like is still maybe the best Ironman experience that I've ever had. And I don't at all mean in terms of the performance I achieved, because obviously I've gone much faster and gotten much better since then. But like from a mental standpoint, it was just, I, I, my life never changed so much in one day and, and how I thought about life never changed so much in one day because um, I was 18. I had never done uh, an Ironman before. It was only my third triathlon ever. And for like the two weeks leading into it, I, I'm going like, can I even finish this? Like, whoa, this is 112 miles of biking and this is 26.2 miles of running. And I had my family and I had everyone saying like, you know, you're only 18, be smart. You maybe can't do this. And like, I, I only started seriously training for this thing not that long ago. I had never ridden my bike more than 100 miles. I had never ridden, I, I'm sorry, I had never ran, I think, more than like 18 miles. So I was like, suddenly I'm going to ride farther than I've ever done and run farther than I've ever done all in one go. And then to go out, and I just way exceeded my expectations and also anyone else's expectations. And it was just like, I mean, it was just getting thrown into this gauntlet. And it was like, you know, I never felt so tired and 
but suddenly it was like, I'm going to do this and I can push through. And when I found out that I was able to push through like there and, and not just that I was able to push through, but I was able to push through better than almost anyone else because I was actually 13th in that race, including professionals um, and all the age troopers, you know, so out of 3000 people, an 18 year old who's never done one before gets 13th. And, and I crossed that finish line and it's still the only race I've ever cried after. Like I literally started crying going like, wow, this is like the most amazing experience of my life. And, and I woke up the next morning and I was like, I'm going to be a professional triathlete. I don't really even know what that means or what that entails yet, but that's what I'm going to do with my life. Holy cow. That's awesome. Yeah. There, I mean, what were there probably 10 pros or so a dozen pros? I mean, you weren't, you were not that far behind already. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, granted, it, looking back now at the time, I didn't know it, so I was more amazed. But looking back, yeah, it was a, definitely a weaker pro field, but I still like there were maybe, yeah, a dozen pros and I or 15 pros and I beat half of them, basically, which is still pretty crazy. <laughs> were, you, like, were you raising eyebrows then? Did you notice that or was it not until some of those wins further down the road? Um, I think like in the town of Boulder, people were kind of, which obviously as as we just talked about in the town of Boulder is pretty significant in the endurance world. I think people in the town were kind of like, Whoa, you know, like this young kid just, just went nine twenty seven in, in his first Ironman with not much real significant training. And, uh, but as far as sponsors or anything, no, not really. And, and I was self coach. So it did raise the attention of, of coaches. And then I basically actually had a bunch of coaches wanting to work with me. Um, but yeah, and then it wasn't until like actually then later that it really started to get like big attention, so to speak. Wow. So, so besides that race, I know you've done all sorts of marathons and, and triathlons and, and just other types of races. H has there been any other one, Ironman or not, that has really stuck out as far as um, the most impact on you in a single race? Yeah, I think uh, then when I won my first Ironman as a, as a professional would then be probably the second most significant, um, but less so from my own mindset and more so from like an external approach, um, because at, at that point, I had kind of I really believed I would win an Ironman. And it, for me, it was mostly a matter of like, yes, I finally did this. I've known I can do this. And at least I wasn't like, you know, kidding myself. And actually, this is reality. But it changed a lot for me uh, from a career perspective, even though I'd won actually like two other 70.3s earlier in the year. And it was crazy. Like I got no sponsorship attention from winning two 70.3s. But then when I won the Ironman and then suddenly it was like, you know, my inbox was uh, full of emails and I was getting calls for sponsorship. And that then was when I would say I actually became a, a professional because then I was able to make enough money to pay the bills. And, and that was, uh, that was 2018, September of 2018. But yeah, from like an internal perspective, that didn't change that much. It was kind of just confirmation of like, okay, I'm on the right path and I've known I can do this and I did this. And now like, let's keep moving forward. But externally, it was like, okay, now I'm allowed to um, have some money because I, well, I still was living in my parents' basement actually for like two years after that. But um, at least I was able to make some money to buy my own flight tickets basically instead of driving in an F-150 and sleeping in the back of it. Hey, I still do that in mine <laughs> when I'm traveling. Um, uh, but but I'm I'm not actually going to go do that. I'm camping, so you know that's the whole intention. It's not to win a race. Uh, that's hilarious, man. So so you know I I know in 2019, what would you say your breakout year was? 2021. Yeah. So this is uh, it, it's confused. I would say the true breakout year was was yeah last year 2021 where i went from professional to world-class professional that's probably the biggest step up but really it's been it's been three breakout years in a row starting with 2019 right that's when i won my first iron man um yeah 2019 i won my first iron man so then that was okay like okay you've won an iron man i started to pick up some small sponsorship deals and then 2020 What's really interesting about 2020, right? It was the year of COVID. So everything was shut down. And while in 2019, I picked up sponsorship attention. In 2020, I picked up like uh, people's attention, fans' attention, because uh, I was like creating these challenges on social media when there was no racing. 
and it went like viral basically um and so like that at that time at the start of the year i had something like six thousand followers and by the end of the year i had something like twenty two thousand followers so it's like a 400 you know uh, a four times increase what were you doing well so the biggest thing i did is i challenged and, and this is what's funny looking back is i challenged like the most established top professional triathlete pretty much in the world to a cycling challenge um, up Mount Lemon. And he had the KOM. He had beaten all the pro cyclists on the KOM up Mount Lemon, right? Um, and, and, and this is Lionel Sanders, if you don't know. So he's got, I mean, it's crazy. The guy has like 200 or 120,000 YouTube subscribers, 500,000 followers on Instagram. And his followers are like, you know, adamant. I mean, they're people that would like build a bonfire with Lionel's, you know, statue on it in his honor. <laughs> and so, anyway, COVID shuts down, and I basically said, like, "Hey, it's on. I'm taking the KOM from you," and and I got it from him. And then I basically, you know, talked smack how a 20 year old would do, and then it, it it just blew up. And then it was all like, "Okay, is Sam gonna?" Like, how did he get this? And then he ended up getting it back. And, and me and him have become friends out of this. So that's what's so great about it. But then it became like, okay, well, he got this KOM that like, he's only good at cycling. Nothing else will matter. And then when the first race returned to the United States, and it was this crazy race called Bear Lake Brawl, and it was up in Idaho. And it was, uh, it, in a normal year, nobody ever even knows what this race was. But all the media attention was there. I mean, all the triathlon photographers drove to this race all the top u.s names were there and it was all the talk was like we're gonna shut sam up this guy's got nothing and then i won by like five minutes and suddenly that was when it was like okay that was a breakout performance because people were like sam doesn't have what it takes and then i proved what it takes but again it was bare leg brawl like nobody ever cares about that race so that it really took until last year to get second at the world championships to be like, finally people are like, okay, Sam is a world-class athlete. So it's been three years of, of breaking out in a row in parentheses, so to speak. Yeah. And what's so crazy is, yeah, I was going to ask, cause it did look like in 2019, you were building that momentum to like, okay, this is getting really serious. And you had some huge wins, um, a string of wins. And then 2020 happens, nothing until September it just had to be frustrating from your point of view, like rearing to go, having all this momentum, uh, but be being able to channel it in almost these, well, the way that everyone was being forced to channel things into virtual challenges or things where you, like Fastest Known Times, another big thing, or, or KOM, King of the Mountain, uh, for things on like Strava, but people were having to use that competitive energy in new ways. Um, and you were able to channel it also into like, content too which had to be i don't know a blessing in disguise now because i feel like you do that a lot now your youtube channel is pretty good for a lot of pro athletes uh, in the tri world that i've looked at it's like wow you're actually sharing a lot of advice people are really engaged it's growing momentum as well would you would you say that 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 was the case no that was maybe the best thing to come out of 2020 totally i mean and, and yeah i guess that's another philosophy of life right like sometimes the things that suck the most or usually actually the things that suck the most you end up getting the most or growing the most out of and, and it was absolutely that and in the moment i'm going oh, i want to race where's the racing but it i i developed this creativity there and both this creativity because that's when i started the youtube that's when i realized like oh like i realized there can be races or not races and if you like do something cool you have to do something cool, but you also have to find a way to tell the story about doing something cool. So it's a two part thing. And I, and I learned that lesson and I've stuck with that since then. And, and that's really allowed the brand to grow. But I also learned like that competition and my love for the sport, like it doesn't have to have racing to be completely honest. And I love racing and racing is great, but like I was as competitive as I've ever been. And I did actually more challenges and almost more, race days during covid when there were no races than i have any other year because i could just make them up and it was like my brain just went wild oh i'm gonna do this fkt i'm gonna do this kom i'm gonna make this crazy challenge and then i'm gonna tell a story around it and i think like i don't know i think me certainly but i think also people out there in general like we don't always like to pay a thousand dollars for a race fee or three hundred dollars and sometimes it's like oh you can come up with this cool challenge and if you can get your friends to do it like 
that's as good of a race as, as anything. You know, you can run a marathon at any, any time, anywhere you want to, if you want to, you know, you don't get a medal or a t-shirt or the, the camaraderie or the atmosphere, but you can do it. Uh, and it's still doing it. And sometimes, like you said, doing something new that no one's ever done and being one of one challenging others to it can be a rewarding sense that you just don't get when you go to a race that's planned for you or, or all that. So I can totally see how that was a really exciting new experience to kind of see where this could go. Now that you're like a content creator and you do things and you have an audience there is when things go, when, when things do go wrong or races don't go well, is that almost, is there almost on the other side of your brain? Like, Oh, this is an opportunity to create some really fascinating content. Things didn't go perfect, which is what story, you know, people love those kinds of stories. Does that go off in your brain at all? Or is it no winning is still everything. Yeah, so winning is still always the goal. And, and actually, the first thing that goes to my mind when things don't go well is actually more of like, oh, shoot, this is going to be a disaster because I'll be completely honest with you. Like, I've got uh, I've got 95% of my followers and my following, like, loves me and they want to hear the stories, but I've got, like, this 5% that is, like, pure rotten evil to me. <laughs> and that 5%, like, I swear to God, they look at everything I do, like every millisecond to figure out as soon as something goes wrong. And then that 5% just like bombards me. And who, um, who are these people? Are, you know, why? Sometimes I wonder if it's one person with like a hundred accounts. Just to like, <laughs> <laughs> but like um, even that same story I told about this, you know, bag at Alp Duez. It's like the first I said something about it at first and I said, Oh, I'll tell you guys the full story, which I just did. But of course on Instagram, I just put three sentences down. And then like the first 25 comments were just pure evil, pure rhyme. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't handle this. I got to take a break. And I logged out of Instagram for three days. Cause I was like, this is crazy. Like an honest mistake. And I'm getting, you know, torched, but then I come back and then it's like, okay, so there were 20 comments that were negative, And then there were like 250 comments that were like, I can relate to this. This is awesome. But, what was so interesting was the timing of it. All the negative comments came first and then all the positive comments came next. Um, but anyways, I digress. Basically, it's like I have to stick to my guns that my following, they want to hear my story, whether it's successful or whether it's bad. And that being a human being, we make mistakes. And um, I actually think telling my story and my journey would be like really boring if uh, it was just always success, success, success and, and never kind of like oh I, I had to work hard for this or i made a mistake and i have to overcome this and um of course we can look at like the hero's journey in a book right i mean the, the hero's journey is everything star wars is written after it it's like there's always you know you come up then you have to fall down below and then you have to rise up again at, above again and i think um I, I think it's that's everyone's journey that's life's journey you know we get good at something then something hits us we get down it's hard for a while and then we ultimately overcome and get even better than we were before yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of that, you were recently in a car accident. What what happened there? Oh gosh, yeah, this is crazy. Um, yeah, so this was like it was it was either not I I think it was nine days before the the World Championships, which was in St. George this year. We had two world two full world Ironman World Championships uh, because of COVID. It was postponed, and it was nine days before. I mean, I was in absolutely the shape of my life. And I was going out basically on my hard, last hard training ride. I'm coming back to the house. I was in Tucson, Arizona. And, um, you know, a person was, they were in such a rush to get to their house through an intersection. They saw me, but they, they assumed I was going slower than I was. And so they like punched on their gas to get in front of me and took this right turn. Like, and, and by that point I was already in the intersection. So they turned right into me. Um, and, yeah, I mean, just took me out basically. And uh, it was horrible because I had literally dedicated like six months uh, of my life to be ready for that world championships race. And then uh, all my dreams of, of doing well at that race were dashed in that moment. But like actually looking back now, like, um, of course, it's one thing to prepare and train hard for a race and that's my job and it didn't go well. But like, I'm lucky I, I didn't go to the hospital. I'm lucky to be alive. I'm lucky I'm still able to train as professional because i mean this could have been seriously horrible i mean 
I was going 30 miles an hour. She was probably going 50 miles an hour because she <laughs> was being so aggressive with me. And um, yeah, it was just a, it was a really crazy experience for me and um, something that definitely knocks me down very low down for, for a little while there. So disheartening, so frustrating, and also something else that Peyton Manning didn't have to deal with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there were no cars. It's part of the hero's journey, man. It's like you're hit, you're literally hit by a car right at, you know, just ahead of this major race and just feeling your best. You talk to any athlete though, especially with, you know, I know your athletic age is only 8 years old like you you've talked about before, but they have these moments and it's like learning from them and how to get through this is so important. It's I can't imagine the frustration of of that having to deal with that variable in the in your world of training as well vehicles um i'm sure there have been countless times that were close calls and things you've avoided and maneuvered around uh but not so this time so what 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 have you done to recover and what what's what do you do to work on your mindset around staying positive because i know that's a big part of it yeah totally i mean and it is interesting like i've probably had i mean i've had hundreds of close incidents um and i've even had as a professional, I've had, I don't know, a dozen bike crashes um, that were usually just my fault. They, they had nothing to do with the car. I just hit a pothole or corner wrong or whatever, hit some gravel or all sorts of things, you know. Um, but this, and, and normally, oh, I'm scraped up. I've got some road rash. As professionals, we learn how to deal with this stuff pretty well. But this one was the most significant and really knocked me on my on my butt, <laughs> literally, and uh, and mentally, and uh, I think, and you know, I don't ever want anyone to get hit by a car, but when you do, it's it's an added thing, and it was an added thing for me because it was like it was so out of my control, and I felt just so much anger because it was like there was nothing I could do about it, and at least those other times I crashed my bike, it was like that was my fault. I didn't see that gravel. I hit that gravel. I was going too fast on that corner. And I went down and like, I should have been better at riding my bike. I should have been going slower. I should have been doing this. But like, in this instance, it was like, wow, you can be doing everything right at times and nothing's your fault. And then something still can completely blindside you. And um, so, I, yeah, I really had to work with that. I actually, I mean, I saw I saw a therapist to, to deal with that. I was, I was actually... I think somewhat open about that. Um, it was, it was further harder by I me. Mean, my, my, uh, one of my triplet brothers was actually hit by a car when he was four, just walking across the street and, and almost killed. I mean, he was in the hospital for two weeks. So, um, like the trauma around that was, was really significant. It brought up actually all that childhood trauma for me. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was dealing with all that and, and, um, my way of dealing with that, I still raced the world championships, um, after, you know, working with the therapist, making sure I wouldn't have an injury. And, and I, I, I knew in my head that there was a little sense of having a good race, but for me, it wasn't about placing that race had nothing to do with placing for me at that point. It just had to do with, I wanted to finish to put that experience behind me and say, I actually said, I'm finishing for myself and for my brother and for the people who have gotten hit by hit by cars. Um, and yeah, and I did that and, and it allowed me to put that, that behind me. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, totally out of your control. Definitely an another lesson of, of things that can, not a whole lot you can do to prevent things that are just going to happen. I'm glad you're all right. And it wasn't more serious. And, uh, we're about to wrap up, but I, but first I want to jump into some rapid fire questions. I meant, I meant to tell you that it shouldn't take too long, just a handful of questions quick answers and then we'll wrap it up how's that sound that sounds great yeah cool. that sounds great biggest curiosity outside of triathlons i think just mountains mountains and jekyll whether that's climbing them whether that's seeing them just the beauty of them everything i totally get what you're saying proudest achievement outside of your career uh i think you know the friends and family and and being a loyal friend and family member and boyfriend to the people around me biggest goal not yet achieved this might be obvious but i want you to answer it yeah yeah winning a world championship in triathlon half or full uh, i want to start with half but ultimately full yeah, okay ultimately so two full. so two there's two, yeah, two. <laughs> <laughs> um favorite daily habit 
I know there's a lot, but it uh, is the one that sticks out. I'll go with, I'll go with drinking an athletic brewing beer. Hey, good That's, answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good answer. Well, speaking of that, do you have a favorite? Oh, well, I love Cerveza Atletica. That's the sort of Mexican beer. Um, that one's very good, but I love to rotate the seasonal sours. Um, Cause as you know, uh, there's no like standard sour, at least not yet. Um, I don't know if that's something you're working. I quite like that. There's a different one, like every few months and I, sour beers are just, I love them. And I'm often having my athletic brewing after like a hot, hard, hot training session. And the sour is just a little more refreshing. So yeah, those would be my two favorite. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great answer. Yeah. Not a lot of people choose a sour. That's my wife's favorite. Um, how about you? What's your favorite? Oh, gosh. So the first one I ever had was Run Wild. To this day, Run Wild is so refreshing. But if I have to choose one, Free Wave. I really love it. it, it I, I didn't even like IPAs before Free Wave. And I'm like, wow, that really opened up my my world. And uh, fun fact, it used to be called Freeway, which is why there's a road on the can. But we had to change it for some reason. So free wave, but there's still there's still a road. So it's a beautiful road too. Okay. <laughs> but um, <laughs> all right. So on every can of Athletic Brewing, it says brew without compromise. But brewing without compromise, it really takes living fully without compromise. You can't do one thing excellent. You know, you got to kind of do everything. How you do anything is how you do everything. Um, what does it mean to you to live without compromise? Yeah. So I've actually I've been thinking about that a lot right now and. And as a professional triathlete, um, sometimes it's like 99.9% of my energy is, is dedicated to triathlon. But I think living without compromise is directly tied to, to living and trying to find some degree of balance. And so for me, it's, it's always trying to create some type of balance because my life is so naturally out of balance in one direction that it's, yeah, it's just finding balance in the small moments and, and balance to enjoy those quiet moments with family and friends as opposed to just all I do is train and that racing and winning is is all that matters in life because I know there's so much more to life and and living without compromise means being a triathlete but also living my life that is a part of Sam Long's story you can find out more about him on his YouTube channel he's got a lot of great videos on there his training what is you know a day in the life of stuff almost uh, but he is getting ready for the Ironman 70.3 world championship at the end of October be following along and if you would like to try some of the beers and some of the things we were talking about go to athleticbrewing.com get it right there on our website or find us on store shelves near you you